Hey, this is Ted Przelski. It's Sunday morning. It's time for another episode of Words and Work. Today we have Dylan Smith, who's the editor and publisher of the Tucson Sentinel. Uh, full disclosure, uh, he's my editor. Um, so we'll probably talk about that a little bit. And uh, why don't we go ahead and get started? See you in a little bit. Okay, we've got Dylan Smith, who, uh, full disclosure, edits my stuff. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to try not to be too bitter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to start, first of all, um, you know, you, uh, you are the editor and publisher of the, uh, of the Tucson Sentinel, which means you get to have both parts of the masthead of editor and publisher magazine. Um, Indeed. yes. Um, and, uh, but I want to start, first of all, let's talk about how you got into journalism, because you, I don't think you took the, the path that a lot of people expect a journalist to, to have taken. Well, it, I did and I didn't. It's pretty common for people who go into journalism to go to journalism school, logically mm -hmm. enough. And although I uh, was briefly, very briefly, studying journalism in college, uh, I didn't make it all the way through. Uh, really, my journalism school was my grandparents' basement when I was a kid. Uh, right out of high school in 1900, my great-grandfather became a reporter and eventually ended up buying the uh, newspaper next door to the one he was working for in the neighboring town uh, right outside of uh, Chicago, Wheaton, Illinois. And so he spent his life uh, running the Wheaton, what became the Wheaton Daily Journal after he turned it into a daily in uh, the teens, uh, 1920s. And then uh, after the war, uh, my grandfather and grandma uh, and uh, his brothers took over the paper and ran it for several years. They got out of newspapers when the getting was good, actually, in the mid 50s. And he went on to become a, a journalism professor. But uh, just looking through old books and, you know, collections of newspapers and uh, kind of just the, the, the ephemera of uh, printing stuff and all of that in their basement when I was a little kid uh, made me fascinated with the whole process of how uh, uh, news got out to people. And that stuck with me even uh, during my period, you know, like, most of Tucson in the early nineties, I was trying to be a musician and, uh, you know, for a, a short while in, I think it was 95, I was the editor and publisher of K magazine, which was uh, a kind of arts and culture monthly Gen X punk rock, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, didn't make a financial go of that. Eventually I wandered back into, uh, pursuing journalism, got a job at the Tucson Citizen, a very part-time job. And then within a, about 18 months, I went from being the lowest on the totem pole in the newsroom, working on the website to being the online editor there. So of course, not too long after that, they shut the entire newspaper down. Yeah. Well, a, a, a story we could talk about for hours, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so, after the citizens shut down, you decided to make a go of it. Uh, I'm not going to say on your own because you've always had other writers and stuff uh, mm -hmm. working yeah. with you on this, but could you talk about how the Tucson Sentinel actually got started? 
Well, we went through, after I'd been working, I think it was at the Citizen about five years, we went through this kind of long, uh, kind of protracted process of not knowing what Gannett was really going to do with that newspaper. They told us they were trying to sell it, which was pretty much a sham uh, that was forced on them by the U.S. Justice Department, that they had to uh, you know, put it on the market for some ridiculous amount of money that no one would ever pay for it. And then one day they uh, summoned everyone into the lobby and said, yeah, we're closing today. It's the last issue. And so we went back to our area of the newsroom, me and my colleagues uh, in the online department and slumped in our chairs for a moment. And I said, well, you know, uh, since we're closing, uh, let's try and do this ourselves. We couldn't screw it up any worse than they have. And uh, I ended up working for a couple weeks after the last newspaper rolled off the press, just helping uh, button things up there. And when I was no longer on Gannett's payroll, I went home, cracked open a beer and registered a domain name and got busy. You know, and, and, and you know, I, I, I don't want to dwell on it too much because it's, <laughs> it's still kind of emotional for you in, in a way. but. I mean, for folks that don't know the Tucson Citizen, I mean, it was, I mean, it, it, its origins date back to before there was even an Arizona. 1870, um, if I remember correctly. Well, well but, but even before that, I think that's the one that they had the gunfight in Tubac about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then it, that, that paper became the Tucson Citizen. So its origins go back pretty far. So for folks that, don't know why this the citizen was such a big deal that was that was the reason and um you know let's talk about it so so um you you did it as an online newspaper and and you're you're saying that rather than a blog obviously and and i and i think if i remember the early days of it people deriding it as a blog just because of the fact that it was a website but it looked just like a newspaper website. So I don't know what, the, what the reason for that distinction was in some people's minds, but um, what, you know, could you talk about the process about how you managed to get that going? Cause it was more than just registering a domain name. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a, a lot of uh, programming that went into it, getting things organized, uh, trying to find some uh, donors because we're in, set up purposefully as a nonprofit in addition to being, you know, still a relatively shoestring organization. We're, uh, you know, organized around the mission of telling this community uh, about itself, uh, lending an ear, uh, being a sounding board and uh, being a watchdog of things, uh, you know, digging into stories that probably otherwise would not be told. And we wanted to make it clear that we were, focused on that rather than, you know, being a, another business uh, that just wants to ship profits out of town, which that's what chain newspapers are. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, they're just incidentally in the news business. Their business is to make uh, just exorbitant profit margins and uh, make sure that all that money heads home to corporate headquarters instead of remaining in the community. And, Tucson Sentinel is, uh, you know, locally owned, operated, supported, organized around the mission of uh, being a, uh, you know, spotlight on things that people should know in Tucson. 
Is there anything in particular that you think the Sentinel does better? And, and, and was that intentional on your part? Well, uh, we're really focused on not just doing the same old, same old stories. Uh, we try and go where other news outlets are unlikely to go, or even if they're going to do a story, we want to provide you know more context, more history, uh, more digging into things and explain not just something happened, but why it's important, why people should be uh, aware of it. Okay. And because we're online, you know, we don't have that kind of print news hole. We're not, you know, uh, we don't have to squeeze an important story into just eight inches on uh, the fourth page because that's the spot that's left in between the ads uh, in Friday's paper. You know, we give everything the, the appropriate treatment. Well, I, yeah, I know that, you know, when I'm, when I'm writing for, for y'all, I mean, even, even when I've been, you know, cause I was, you know, doing some writing for major league soccer's website and for them, they mm -hmm. had these, this is the word count we want and da, 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 da. I've never heard that from you. And I've been able to kind of go crazy with some things when I want to because of the, the sort of the format that you, you guys have. As long as it's interesting, it yeah. can be long or, you know, longer. You don't want to, uh, you know, get so long and involved and elaborate that you lose people. But what we've seen is from some of our really long stories and we publish things that are, you know, 4,000, 5,000, six, seven, you know, sometimes 10,000 word long pieces, people really stick with those. We can see that they, you know, stay on those pages and read all of them because hopefully you know, we're keeping it interesting and uh, telling people stories that aren't just, uh, you know, cut and dried, but uh, engage them, bring them in, uh, tell them, you know, not just here's something fascinating, weird, convoluted, but here's why it's important. Yeah. Now, you know, to me, uh, if someone that was on the outside of what you were doing at the time, to me, I, I think that, it, it seemed like you guys came into your own during the the aftermath of the January 8th shooting. I, you were, I mean, if, if I can, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, give you too much praise, maybe I, I thought that you, I thought that you guys actually outreported um, other traditional news outlets in town on that issue. And, and could you talk a little bit about, what what went on there and, and how you were able to, to do the job you did on that one? Well, first off by not sleeping much, you know, yeah, yeah. that, that first night I probably got uh, 20 minutes of sleep and not even all at once. And then, you know, a half an hour here, 15 minutes there for more than a week, you know, it was just a uh, continuous, uh, mostly, trying to demonstrate that a lot of the ridiculous rumors that were running around were just, you know, completely not true. But uh, right out of the gate, we were very careful to confirm everything before we, you know, uh, went to press with it, so to speak. Before we put it out for the world to know, we made sure that what we were reporting was actually a fact and not something that someone was saying because so much of uh, what was going on, especially that first couple of days after that attack was uh, just a lot of rumors and people, you know, throwing them around willy nilly. And it was very unfortunate. Most notably, uh, 
so many national and local news outlets reporting that Gavi Gerhards had been killed. And, mm-hmm. you know, word of that uh, circulated for hours that morning, that afternoon even. And, of course, it was simply not true. And I had had a, an, an experience with a lower stakes, I guess you could say, in the Citizen Newsroom that really led me to be aware of don't report things unless you get them nailed down. There was a terrible monsoon storm back in, I think it was about 2006, 2007. And there were a whole lot of uh, swift water rescues going on at the same time all over Tucson. You know, uh, and, and trying to keep track of which vehicle was involved uh, in which instance became you know, a, a complete mess and trying to you know, listen in to the scanner and keep track of uh, the reporters who were out at the scene and piece it all together. And for a brief period, the citizen incorrectly reported that uh, someone had been washed away at one scene when it was actually at a different scene. And, you know, for anybody who, whose family or friends had, had any inkling of what was going on, to have that out there in the world would be terrible. And that's why I'm, you know, very conscientious about not just uh, running with, you know, we heard this happened. Let's, let's make sure. Let's, you know, get multiple sources, find out what the facts are before we report. Well, other people said this happened. You know, there's a big difference between someone saying something happened and it being true. And we don't want to be like the megaphone for things that aren't true. And yeah. More broadly, that's important these days with what we've seen about, you know, the complete misinformation that's going on about our political process, our elections, the whole, you know, QAnon conspiracist nonsense that uh, just does not, uh, you know, has no foundation whatsoever in reality. Um, You know, I I talked to Becky Palak um, and I talked to Hank Stevenson. And they both have done, I'm not going mean, to, I guess sort of the same path you did where they went and started in Becky's case. I mean, I think, I think hers is more in line with what you did. Cause it's a full blown online newspaper and Hank is doing what's essentially a, of a, a, a very uh, sophisticated blog, mm-hmm. um, you know, and they're very different uh, sorts of models when you started with the Sentinel, I, I, you know, and, and, I, and I, I heard from Becky a little bit. We talked about she even brought up the Sentinel as, as sort of a something she could look to. When you did this, there weren't a lot of people that were doing this, were there? We were part of a kind of initial wave of local news organizations that got set up in 2009, 2010. There were, you know, much like we're seeing over the past couple of years, there were uh, tons of reporters and editors being laid off all over the country. And a whole lot of us, uh, well, not a whole lot, but a, you know, a, a decent number of us were unwilling to see our communities you know, go with less information and struck out on our own. So that's one of the reasons why I was involved with the founding of Lion Publishers, local independent online news publishers, which grew out of a couple of conferences where local news entrepreneurs, both for-profit and non-profit were brought together. And we realized it was important for us to 
have a uh, you know collective voice and a way to exchange information about how people were rebuilding local news all over the country. So I became the founding chairman of Lion Publishers and uh, held that post for about eight years, I think. And that's really it's grown from you know the initial group of twenty of us who put it together to four hundred some. Uh, news outlets all over the country and there are you know, hundreds more popping up and what we're seeing is local news returning to its roots with people who live in the community who are invested in the success of the community they live in and not just looking to take profits out of it and send them off to some chain. So um, what support is a group like that able to give and what, what kind of support do these, you know, local news startups need usually? Lion, you know, is not a giant grantor of funds. That's not where you go to, you know, get an enormous, uh, you know, foundation grant that will pay for your newsroom for years, that kind of thing. It's, you know, training, connections, uh, a lot of peer support. Just last night I edited, uh, you know, because some of my colleagues around the country needed some help. I edited a story about the, uh, shooting at a funeral in Racine mm-hmm. and uh, another story that's not posted yet, but uh, will be uh, coming out with a Mendocino voice uh, over the next couple of days. Uh, another police related story. Yeah. Some couple of editors needed a pant and I pitched in and, you know, spent some time editing, uh, you know, try, trying to ask a few more questions about, you know, what about this? I don't quite understand and I fix up their stories at the end of a long week. You know, they needed a Paul and I was a member of Lion who was willing to pitch in. And it's that kind of peer support. And just to, you know, if people have questions about, you know, some aspect of their business or running a newsroom or things, people who've already learned some hard lessons who've been doing it for a while are uh, willing to share because we, we all want to see, local news function again and uh, not restore what it used to be because there have you know, long been many problems with how local news has been run. It's been, you know, far too connected with local establishments and been, you know, too much gatekeeping. Fixing that while getting things back to, you know, like local connections and responsiveness. You know, so so when you talked about hard lessons, what hard lessons have you learned? Because you, you've been doing this for, uh, what, 11, 12 years now? Indeed. Yeah. Um, I don't know that there was so much lessons, but just, you know, uh, reinforcing some many of the things I realized setting out that, uh, you know, it wasn't going to be easy. You know, money doesn't fall from the sky. And, uh, you know, uh, all of a sudden you have a giant uh, newsroom that looks like what a newspaper used to look like. We didn't really want to do that anyway. We don't want to replicate what used to be. We want to try and stay a little bit leaner and meaner. And, uh, you know, it's about finding, you know, people who are really, you know, good communicators, good writers, uh, have the reporter's instinct to ask questions like you do, you know, you're, uh, you've done an amazing job with really explaining to people how local soccer has developed over the past decade. And I get, that's probably why you're a Tucson legend of soccer. <laughs> just, just, just so you know what he's talking about. Um, I got a, 
the, the, the team gave out these medals about four or five years ago. And uh, so I got one that certifies me as a legend of Tucson soccer. I, I just thought that it was funny that I, I could not make my high school team, but I was getting this medal along with a guy that was like a former national team player, you know, it was just sort of, you know, but. And I guess the big, the big lesson is, you know, uh, that like with any local small business, uh, you know, building up a local news business is going to take, you know, some serious dedication. You're going to have to stick with it for a long time. And, We've done that and we are continuing to grow. We just this week brought on a new reporter, Bianca Morales, who's going to dig into uh, cultural expression and community values is her beat. Just listening to people, finding people doing interesting, creative things in Tucson and telling the story of why this is a weird, wonderful place that we all love to live in. Okay. And, you know, we're, we're, you know, almost to the end of this and I can't let it go without asking about this. Um, I want you to talk a little bit about your uh, relationship with uh, former supervisor, Allie Miller, and how, <laughs> how that, how that went. I think, you know, uh, she, Allie Miller blocked me on Facebook a while back, but, you know, in person, we always got along uh, just fine. I don't have any, you know, uh, personal animus towards really any local uh, politician or government figure. We're just here to dig into things and find out the facts and tell the truth. And uh, that was a a few years back, uh, one of the staffers in Allie Miller's uh, supervisor office set up a sham news outlet, you know, uh, assumed a fake name and started asking politicians questions. Uh, the working theory, he's never really explained why, but the working theory is that he was asking, you know, uh, political opponents of Ali Miller questions in order to, you know, catfish them, get them to say something stupid that they should could then use against him, use against them. And, uh, that Arizona daily Herald, uh, was an investigation that, uh, you know, the first part of it just took a few seconds to figure out who this person <laughs> actually was. Yeah. You know, there were so many connections. The, uh, you know, persona that he assumed was a something he was using in online gaming. So, uh, you know, it was pretty easy to figure out who Jim Falcon was, the uh, supposed editor of the Herald. But then, you know, after it took, you know, hearing weeks of denials and, uh, Miller and this staffer uh, submitted reports to the FBI and just, it, it turned into a ridiculous situation and then mushroomed into many other former staffers of hers, uh, giving us public records documents that showed just that she was, uh, well, one of them, you know, flatly called her paranoid and how she ran her office that she thought there were listening devices in the walls and it, became a uh, interesting let's just say yeah you know the the, the other the, the part that struck me about that whole thing was you know an insight into how people think the media actually operates you mm-hmm. know that 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 uh, a real misunderstanding of, of of 
what you do and what, you know, that, that even if you're an elected official and there's a reporter that's particularly irritating or, you know, bothersome somehow that they aren't just trying to get you, you know? And, and, and so he sets up this thing as if that's going to, that's how it works. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, that, and that's not what we're after. I mean, uh, really when we catch people doing things they're not supposed to do, they did that to themselves. That's not, uh, you know, us, uh, trying to you know come up with some gotcha moment people get themselves an interesting uh follow to our reporting on miller and her staff and all that uh, giant mess a few years ago is uh over the past couple months uh, in my reporting on chuck huckleberry you know uh keeping it uh, extremely closely held secret even from his bosses on the board of supervisors that he had retired and started collecting his pension from the state, even while he was still getting paid full-time as the county administrator. Uh, One of Miller's former staffers who, you know, has been amongst those who uh, castigated me and the Sentinel for the past, you know, however many years said, Oh, wow, you guys actually are real reporters. I'm sending you a check. (laughs) Well, there you go. You know, it, it's not about, you know, who does things. We live in a town that's run by Democrats. We live in a county that's run by Democrats. Of course, most of what we dig into are things that are run by Democrats. We don't just exclusively sit around waiting for Republicans to do, you know, weird, messed up things. It's, uh, it doesn't really matter who you are. It's, uh, are you an important person doing something questionable? We're going to tell people about it. Um, you know, I, I, I just want to close out with, you know, I, I know that, you know, Jim Ninsel, um, is, uh, has been, is leaving the weekly and I mean, we're all the same age, you, me and mm-hmm. Jim, and we've all encountered each other over the last few decades. Um, what do you think of what he'd been able to do at the weekly and, and did you ever kind of look to him as a role model or a friend or anything like that? You know, we've been friends for a, a good long while. Uh, when I was not in journalism, uh, especially at uh, some points in the 90s, I was, you know, a, an avid reader of the weekly. Uh, there was a period where they just had really amazing, hard-hitting political coverage uh, with Jim and Chris Lamberis and Emil Franzi and others contributing, especially to the skinny, which... Uh, Jim basically invented and, you know, made happen at the weekly, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a lot of what I know about Tucson and how things work was because of reading those pieces by those amazing reporters. You know, recently, uh, Nintzel's been tasked with him and five other people putting out six newspapers all the time. And it's basically an impossible task put out the weekly and inside Tucson business and the Explorer and Foothills news and Miranda news. I'm probably forgetting one. It's been, you know, uh, I, I can't even imagine trying to do that. Uh, it, I don't know when he's been able to sleep over the past five years. So uh, I think he, you know, in uh, winding up his time, uh, especially at the weekly, he's certainly deserving of a beer and a nap. <laughs> well, uh, thank you very much.
Thank you. Thank you for listening. Uh, and thank you, Dylan, for uh, agreeing to come on. If you are interested in finding out more about how to support the work of the Tucson Sentinel, you can visit tucsonsentinel.com slash donate. Uh, I'm Ted Przelski. The Writers Union Tucson chapter is uh, meeting in person now. Um, so if you want more information on that, go to our Facebook page. Words and Work is a presentation of the National Writers Union Tucson chapter and of Downtown Radio. Thank you. See you all next week.